Hello, Mary with Children fans. This is Tyler, and I'm podcasting from the future, and I'm trying to apologize for the horrible sound that my voice has during this episode. I unfortunately made a mistake. I've gotten better at this now, so I don't make these mistakes anymore, but apparently... When I recorded the episode, I didn't notice that the microphone was cued to be my desktop, not the awesome microphone that I spent money on to do the actual podcast. So you might hear papers shuffling, my desktop wobbling, a sound, which is just my chair as I move it across. Normally you won't hear this stuff with this microphone, but you'll probably hear it this time around. I tried to fix it, but unfortunately there was no way I could do it without re-recording, and there's no way to do that, so you're just going to have to bear with me. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I will talk to you all in the future. Now, what we need to do is to find someone who can tell us how to fight this insanity. That's right. We need a man's man. Right. Someone who's always called his own shots. A leader to lead us through the 90s. A man among men. Iron Hand Haynes! Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. I'm Tyler, and here we treat all guests the same, even midgets. I'm Steven Scott, and I'm so sick of that complaint box at school. <laughs> and our special guest of the day, Alex Edwards. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're stuck! We suck! What's up, guys? I'm back for the show, and uh, they let me on here because uh, I accomplished something amazing. I didn't insult a woman for more than three weeks, so I was allowed on. Hey. No, you're right. Hold on, hold on. Steven, one second. I got it for you. Uh-huh. Five bucks. It's it's yours, man. You're right. You won. What's that? Five dollars, man. You won the bet. What bet? The bet. The that bet I couldn't that, insult uh, a woman. Yeah, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Peggy and Al. <laughs> you believed in me. Yeah, we're about to talk about The Legend of Ironhead Haynes. This is 23rd uh, episode of Season 8. It aired on May 1st, 1994, written by Catherine Green and directed by Jerry Cohen. Al goes to the mountain to discover the true meaning of life. Well, you must be Ironhead Haynes. And you must be some idiot that don't know there's a road on the other side of this mountain. And returns with Ten Commandments for the Working Man. Rule number one, it's okay to call Hooters knockers and sometimes snack trays. Waylon Jennings guests on an epic Married with Children Sunday. Mm, yes, and this is a very special episode. Behind little scenes notes, viewers, uh, me and Stephen have been holding off recording this episode. All the rest of eight has been done and recorded, except for this one. And we've been playing calendar hopping for some time now to 
get our good buddy Alex on here because Alex, I believe you told me this was one of your favorite episodes. Yeah, no, this is one of the highlights of season eight. Uh, I always dug all the no ma'am stuff. This dude up here, uh, Waylon. It was just, it was, always, it had a good, good intro. You know, cool like little mythology to it. So. It was like one of the ones that stuck out to me in season eight. So yeah, I definitely wanted to hop on with you guys. So uh, thanks for, uh, <laughs> I know it's been a, a rough time uh, scheduling and everything. That's how it goes. That's what I always went through <laughs> when I was uh, the showrunner. So yeah, it's pretty normal to me. But yeah, well, we're here now. So And Alex, that just proves that you have the, that by being the creator of this uh, show, you have the instinct to know when is the best episodes because... Me and Stephen have been noticing a real decline in season eight. It started strong, but it hmm. started to decline in its quality and what it could do. Me and Stephen were making a lot of, I, in editing previous episodes, I've noticed we were making a lot of apologies for the episodes. Hmm. And this one, I feel, is firing on a lot of cylinders that the other ones lacked. Right, Steven? I do think this one's better than average, but yeah, I've always thought season eight is the weakest of all the seasons, even more so than nine, ten, or eleven. Oh, wow. That's just my person. Of course, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, and this is, this is totally us just being, you know, critical and looking at things just in relation to previous seasons and previous episodes and how the flow of the season is going. One of the things I noticed big time about this episode before we get into it our other family members, uh, Peggy, Kelly, and Bud, in the Darcy files, specifically Kelly and Bud, they didn't have much to do. And it's like they were shoehorned in, and it really bothered me how little their uh, agency was used. And it felt like they had to be there for contract purposes. This one was fun. They inserted them in a lot really funny ways, how their no mating was broken up in individual ways. We'll talk about that, but... Just an example like that is something I've noticed that the show has been popping on. It was something I noticed on my little rewatch before we started recording, and I wanted to throw it out there before I forgot. And I do want to make it official. I think I put on the Facebook page. I've recanted my position that Season 7 jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. done that several times. Because, because okay. he watched season eight, he was like, you know what? Season seven wasn't that bad. <laughs> You're right. Well, I love season seven, the second half of it. But in retrospect, it had nothing to do with Dan coming up here and beating me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – I haven't looked at – Um, I mean, by the time this goes out, I will have. But uh, while we're recording this, we got a little bit ahead of schedule. So I haven't – deep dove into all of season eight thus far and as i said many times i never watched this show by season i always just picked whatever i felt like whatever i was in the mood for i would just scan the the you know episode list and just see play what i feel like so i never thought of this show as seasons until i started doing the podcast so i'm actually curious now to to like because i now i'm giving my um my wrap-up like when everybody does the wrap up and ratings, I'm doing that too for every one of these um, podcasts. Because uh, I forgot who, but you, either you or Luigi thought it was a good idea to insert that. So I'll be doing that. So I will be taking the journey with you guys. And I already have for the people who are listening to this at this point. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if I agree with you guys, which it seems like I will by because I did scan what the episodes were. And I have a feeling that you're right. This is where... The show definitely takes a dive, and and it's good to hear that it goes back up in nine, ten, and eleven. So, mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed is our ratings of these episodes, when we're watching them in chronological order, and especially when I open up my notes and I have the previous episode's notes to the left of me while I'm writing new ones, mm-hmm. I alter my 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 view as if I would just have pulled this episode out of the ether and watched it without a lot of memory of what just happened before and what is going to happen. And it changes how I rate it. So whatever we rate this episode, I understand if casual viewers are like, what is wrong with those guys? This is hilarious. Right. And like I said, that's just our opinion. We may be wrong. It's okay to like an episode. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Even if you hate... Except for every Bundy has his birthday. <laughs> yeah, if you like that, you're an asshole. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, not an asshole, but you do need medical help. <laughs> this episode opens with something we never usually see an episode open up. A kitchen table with people eating food. Mm, great sandwich, Mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should all be grateful to our late Aunt Stumpy for leaving us her refrigerator full of food. <laughs> Well, she didn't exactly leave it to us. I mean, we took it off the back porch while everyone else was at the funeral. <laughs> Don't you think we should tell Dad about the fridge? Oh, no. I'm sure he made out fine. It was an open casket. He probably got the watch. Oh. <laughs> oh. Refrigerator's hidden in the garage. Dad'll never know it's there. It's concealed so well, even a clever man wouldn't be able to find it. <laughs> yeah, Aunt Stumpy died, and the Bundys... <laughs> took they decided to go through the house and unload the refrigerator on the back porch and bring it to their house like that is insane you would think that they would just take the food and throw in a big garbage bag or something but they took the entire refrigerator because you know theirs is empty they could have just put it in theirs <laughs> i have so many notes in this in this episode where it, it says something and then it's crossed out and something's written above it i have Bundy's steal food from a funeral. Then I crossed out food and wrote fridge <laughs> full of food. <laughs> so yeah, like, because immediately I'm like, oh, wow, Peggy secretly is making food for the kids? Aw. And literally as I'm forming the words, oh, that's right, they stole this shit from a funeral. And Al is coming home from work and he is now, Alex, I gotta give, I gotta ask you this. Do you think that this is why, for the rest of the show, Al is the only one starving secretly in this household? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they have to run out eventually from whatever's in there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was interesting how, like, usually when they do get their hands on food, I guess Al's involved with it, but, you know, nobody's ever left out. Like, even, you know, Al and Peg do a lot of things where the kids are left out of stuff mostly trying to get away or go on vacation or whatever it was interesting that they decided not to let al eat any of this food as if he has like some insane homer simpson appetite like i just watched like an episode of the simpsons where uh homer was going on a hunger strike so marge had there was like five turkeys and two hams on the table and the kids were all like stuffed and their stomachs were exploding they were like Mom, can you stop doing this? And and he goes, stop making Dad's portion. He's not eating it, you know? So that showed Homer's portions he would eat. And, like, it's like Al is not known for that or anything. Like, would it kill you to let him have, like, you know, a couple pieces of chicken today or whatever? Or like, But that's yeah, what they chose to do, so. 
That's absolutely beautiful, but I do love that you pointed that out because I was thinking about that and I'm wondering, we've known in the past that when the Bundys plot together and even subplot between each other, like gang up on another member, they can mend bridges sometimes. And the fact that Al never finds this bridge, I'm thinking Peggy actually is shopping. The kids are stealing money like coordinate wise and it's like normally we would never work together to make sure the three of us are fed but we're doing this and secretly watching daddy starve (laughs) it doesn't explain that the kids are complaining about starving themselves in previous episodes many times not anymore it's all gonna be an act from now on an act within an act oh you know what i kind of take that back peg had a lot of moments where she would so she would say, "I'm so hungry, I can hardly eat." Then she would take like a donut out of the drawer in the kitchen and just eat it and throw it in the garbage in front of the kids. So yeah, I guess there is a little bit of that going on. Normally, when it's like real meals, the whole family gets in on it. But okay, I love this because they keep coming back to the secret fridge covered with a mattress, and I like to believe that Al's going to secretly starve and everyone else is going to know where this fridge is. <laughs> Stephen, why don't you bring us into what we're going to be talking about? Well, basically, Al's in trouble. He comes home from work. Apparently, he is going, he has to go like three weeks without insulting a woman. I hate those complaint boxes they put in at the mall. A woman comes in the shoe store today, so huge, she's protected by Greenpeace. And asks for a size four shoe. I ask her if she wants to eat them there or take them home. And she has the nerve to complain about my performance. Honey, I complain about your performance all the time. You don't care. Sometimes you don't even wake up. Unlike sex with you, this is important to me. The mall manager is threatening to take away the only joy I have at work. They're shutting off the plumbing? The other joy. They're threatening to take away my parking space, the one that's closer than all the other employees, because I've been there the longest. Oh, so you'll have to walk an extra half mile. It won't kill you. Oh, no, Peg, it won't kill me. That's your job. One thing, when, when Al first comes home, he actually starts out with one of those uh, fat women jokes. A woman came into the store so huge, she's protected by Greenpeace and asked for a size four shoe. So I ask her if she wants to eat them there or take them home. And she has the nerve to complain about my performance. And Peggy has that great comeback. But uh, in case you're wondering, Greenpeace is a non-governmental environmental organization. And they're part in spread over 55 countries and have an international coordinating body in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. It was founded in 1971 by Irving Stowe and Dorothy Stowe, and they're activists, and its goal is to ensure the ability of the Earth to nurture life in all its diversity, focusing its campaign on worldwide issues, mostly on climate change, deforestation, overfishing, commercial whaling, and anti-nuclear issues. So yeah, it does lobbying and research. To achieve its goal. So, despite how they're per- portrayed in many different types of media, they are not a 
terrorist organization that <laughs> tries to take down oil rigs or sink whaling ships or anything. There may be branches of crazy people that call themselves Greenpeace activists that do that, but that's an adjectative uh, name. Greenpeace itself does the legwork that many organizations like the Environmental Protection Agency, the World Health Organization, and other non-for-profit uh, health places need, and Greenpeace does that legwork information for them. Right, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, once we get to the shoe store, that's when things get even more interesting. Parking spot. It's mine. I started at the end of the lot by the street where it helps to speak Spanish. And ten years later, or should I say Diaz Años, they finally put my name on the best spot Al Budney. I was so happy, but now if I insult one more woman before the end of the month, they're going to take my spot away. Maybe you should just call in sick for the next 27 days. Oh, no, no, no. We can't afford that. Then they'd dock his pay, and we'd be out hundreds and hundreds of loose change. Well, all I know is I am not giving up my parking space without a fight. Anyone can go three weeks without insulting a woman. Bet you five dollars you can't. I will take that bet, you bon-bon-binging bozo! And I want to know, what mall gives their employees parking? Yeah, is that part of a union? That sounds like you should be fired if you're insulting customers. Not you're going to lose it or get your pay docked if they can dock his pay anymore. But lose your parking space? It sounds like a creepy union uh, contract thing. Well, like I said, it's with the mall. The mall wouldn't, I don't think, would dole out parking spots. I mean, a private business would if it was just them on the lot. Also, I think Al's the manager. Because Gary's never around to hear him insulting customers. What about Aaron, the secret employee we've never heard about? Yeah, well, he's going to, we'll talk about him when we get to him, but. I think he lives there. No. <laughs> who knows? But in any case, it's just really weird that you would get a parking spot at a mall. Because the mall's not his employer, it's Gary. Have either of us ever worked in a mall before, Alex? Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, so you both worked in a mall. Do you guys know if the mall... So, you, Stephen, you said the mall is not your employer. The store is, but the store is located within the mall. And if there is a... Let's say you're working in Sears, back when Sears still existed, and Sears has, like, a center of the parking lot that has Sears parking for employees, wouldn't that be the mall's decision of who gets those parking spaces because they own the parking lot? Now, they would probably have a designated parking for specific stores like uh, Gary's Shoes, you park here. Final Vinyl, you have to, you get this section for parking. And uh, Winnie Tots, you get this section of parking. Well, I do like in this Marywood Children universe, though, Stephen, it works on a uh, seniority level where whoever, whatever loser is <laughs> worked in the mall the longest gets their parking space so whoever like all right you're the first employee in this mall you get the closest parking space to the store you're obviously going to quit in six or seven months because no loser is going to work here for too much longer then the next person can get it mr bundy since you lose your parking spot if you get one more complaint maybe i should take care of a certain segment of our women customers today it's not necessary aaron i've already decided to be nice to women for the next three weeks and no one on god's foul earth will come between me and my slab of tar. 
This is actually starting at the beginning of the shoe store day. And everybody's favorite employee, Aaron, shows up. Well, I did not, like I said, watch uh, season eight to this point, but uh, I did like his uh, introduction episode when he married, uh, or he's going to marry, or started dating Meg again or something like that. That's one of the best. That's one of the best in season eight. Oh, yeah. That's one of my, I've watched that so many times. But uh, after that, Aaron just kind of petered out, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And they were really trying to shove him in with this episode, giving him actual agency. He's not making fun of Al. He's actually looking like he's looking out for him, like he's going to be Al's buddy, his work buddy. And um, Al's not letting him handle it. In fact, he's going to just shove him away and even make jokes about him possibly jacking off when he should be doing inventory. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's no Griff. Yeah, uh, oh. I forgot who it was who stated it, but... Uh... Maybe it was you and I. I can't remember if it was uh, Tyler and me or if it was Luigi and me talking about how Griff was a much better partner. Well, the dynamic is better because he is just a big a loser as Al because he's like an older guy. He has seemingly nothing going for him. He's not going anywhere. This other kid, he just looks like, you know, a young kid who has promise. He's just working in the shoe store for the summer or whatever it was, you know, un unlike Al who thought he was doing that too, but... And then he just made a wrong decision with a chick based on Al's advice. So it had a different dynamic. I guess two losers are funnier than one. I don't know. And him being younger than Al, like Al talking down to him, that just gets old pretty quick. It's it's more interesting to have like sort of an equal with something like this situation, I guess. Yeah. This is Hill Harper, the actor who plays Aaron's last appearance. So we're, we're giving him a little goodbye uh, serenade here. Saying goodbye and saying uh, that we're going to like his replacement. That's all. <laughs> More than him. Hill Harper is actually doing okay, though. CSI New York and The Good Doctor. So he's got two oh, wow. successful television shows under his belt. Good for him. Unlike Shane Sweet. <laughs> right. He's not doing good. He has a band. No. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Hill Harper, doing good. Good for him. Yeah. But we've got to move Hill Harper out of the way for probably... This is going to be one of my favorite interactions between Al Bundy and Marcy. Hi, Al. Peggy told me about your little complaint problem. There's no problem. I'm still under my quota. Oh, well, that's very good. Of course, I don't see any customers here yet. Nope. No one here but us chickens. <laughs> Actually, I was just on my way back from the supermarket. It seems I was all out of eggs. <laughs> Some of the girls are going to be stopping by later for what I guess you could call a hen party. <laughs> Come on, Al. You know you can't keep this up all month. Eventually, some poor, calorically challenged woman is going to come through those doors, and you're going to insult her because you don't know the first thing about politically correct behavior. What does that have to do with obnoxious fat women? Today's obese woman simply feels that it's her right to be heavy and does not want to be insulted. So when some moo cow thunders in here with a pie under each chin, 
I'm not supposed to ask if that's the Star Spangled Banner she's belching, so I know whether to sit or stand. All I'm saying, oh ye of little deodorant, <laughs> is that you must learn to treat all people the same. Everyone. Everyone. Even midgets? <laughs> Everyone, you wiener head. Now, I would really love to stay and see you go down for the third time, but I have to get home. I, uh, promised Jefferson I'd cook him a fryer for dinner. I so wanted it to be me. I don't know about you guys. Maybe, maybe you have some weird malls in the States you guys grow up in. Uh, there is no mall where you go grocery shopping for eggs and and other edible purchases. You don't go to malls for that. So she went grocery shopping, got her groceries, went away from the grocery store to the mall, found a parking space, walked into the mall with groceries that were not purchased in that mall, went to the store, all of this specifically to torture Al. And I love that way more than her just happen to walk by. Well, what kills me is when she embraces those chicken jokes. I mean, right. she's just cracking she them. these. Yeah, she's just cracking these jokes right and left. And the thing that really killed me was a close-up on Al, and you could see all that sweat beating on his forehead because he wants to get into the fray. I mean, right. that was brilliant. That was my favorite segment in this uh, episode. Oh, it was the strongest segment of the episode, easily. Her baiting him with all these chicken references, and, you know, you keep thinking it's going to end, and she just keeps taking it, and she goes all the way with it. And that's, she made the commitment to, you know, completely humiliate herself. But, you know, she's not really, because she's doing it in front of somebody she doesn't respect anyway, and she knows he already feels this way. So it's kind of a nice trade-off in, in order to get him thrown out of there, and just, you know, she loves to see Al fail more than he naturally does. So I think it was a, a great idea and just perfect setup. If we had to pick a favorite for each of us, uh, chicken reference that Marcy was doing, what would be everyone's favorite? Cause she does, you're right. She does like seven or eight of them at once. My favorite one was when she said she needed eggs. I mean, that just puts it right there. I like the, the <laughs> movement she does with her, uh, <laughs> Then she's like, a, yeah, like, <laughs> too bad she couldn't bend her knees backwards and just go all the way with this. <laughs> Mine was uh, when she brings up her friends, because I think with that, it's a diversionary tactic where I think it's going to be the end of the joke, where she's like, because me and my friends were going to come over and have a hen party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she stares right at the camera and sneers at us like. Yeah, keep thinking of them. I'm going to get them before you guys do. <laughs> That's great. I, I like when she says, uh, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but uh, cal calorically challenged women come in yeah. or something like that. Who says calorically that? challenged. Calorically, calorically challenged. Because okay. <laughs> I just wrote it down. I forgot how she said it. Yeah, calorically. She can't say fat because that's a toxic masculine right. word to demean women. Calorically challenged. <laughs> Yeah, it's really challenging to not consume 3,000 calories a day. That's so tough. Oh, oh and God, just to yeah. Prove that, just to prove that the Marywood Children Podcast Group has done its research, 
Marcy says, nobody here but us chickens! <laughs> uh, that's Ain't Nobody Here But Us Chickens is an up-tempo blues song written by Alex Kramer and Joan Whitney and recorded by Louis Jordan in 1946. One night Farmer Brown was taking the air Locked up the barnyard with the greatest of care Down in the hen house something stirred When he shouted, who's there? This is what he heard There ain't nobody here but us chickens There ain't nobody here at all So calm yourself and stop that fuss There ain't nobody here but us Nice. Someone got paid to do that research back in the, back in the 80s and we're helping them out now. Wow. Amazing. But then the story must move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, the story of Al wanting to treat midgets differently than other people. Uh-huh. <laughs> he Even wants midgets! To yeah. <laughs> I have to treat them with respect, but they're short. It's so... He's so mad and angry. <laughs> Next, you're going to be saying they can't wear their little ties. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, that's the one thing I love about this episode. You know, it's sort of meta because they're just telling the audience that they're being politically incorrect. Like, you know, normally you just do it and that's your sense of humor. But like to like state it as a fact and like base the episode around the idea that I don't want to stop doing this is uh, a great thing. And God, I mean, it's so refreshing to watch this because I, I've been like ranting and raving lately because I've been listening to podcasts of other shows that I I really like from the 80s and 90s. And so I'll say, well, let me put a podcast on about it since I'm like zipping through all these episodes and I'll listen to them on the way to work and all that. And nobody can take a joke anymore. Like literally they have to point out every chauvinistic, sexist, racist, bigoted, you know, like, and it's like, and then saying, oh, this show is coded. If you notice, all the black people are always doing this and all the, this, you know. And it's like, wow, is that how you see things? Like, you people are insane. Like, th th these are just jokes. And a lot of the ones that you're complaining that are racist are written by black people and stuff. And it's like, nobody even gets it anymore that you could have a sense of humor and offending people wasn't always a thing like I, I don't know what midget said back then or I don't know what like transsexual said back then when they make fun of Thad later on who cha sex changed and joined the Polk football team when Al's going against the pink ladies or whatever who knows what they said back then I guess there wasn't enough of anybody to to make a stink about something or whatever but like I know a lot of people who still like those jokes, who are all those things. They're still hilarious. And I, right. it's strange because this is what this episode is about, is political yeah. correctness. And, I mean, it got started back during that time. It's just ballooned into what it right. is now. Mary Wachona was one of the first to take shots at it. I, I saw a video recently on YouTube that was analyzing home improvement. That was one of my favorite shows in the 90s. And they called Tim's masculinity toxic. And I, yeah, and I thought, since when was it toxic? I mean, he usually came around and had to find a way to correct himself and be a better person. How's that toxic? Oh, and dude, there was one. Okay, so, you know, I used to watch Saved by the Bell, so I decided to zip through those things. It's been like 20 years, and I used to love that show. So I'm watching that. Then I listen to a, the podcast about it, and so Kelly says to Zach, she goes, Hey, Zach, do you, you know, it's like career week at school. She says, do you think I'd be a good actress? And he goes, sure. You star in my dreams every night. 
And this guy goes, what an inappropriate way to address her career goals. <laughs> I'm like, what? This is a kid. This is a 16-year-old kid in high school who's being cute and playful with a girl he's obsessed with. And she says, do you think I'd be a good actress? And he says, sure, you star in my dreams every night. And that's an inappropriate way to address her career goals? <laughs> like, oh, kill me now. I don't want to be a part of human beings anymore. Tyler, you know, I know you want to go into teaching. I'm a teacher. And it's becoming like that at school where you just really got to watch what you say and think about what you say. Then I got to get on to kids for things that I think would have been taken as lighthearted when I was a kid. Yes, well, there's – you guys both brought up amazing points. Alex, I'm so happy you brought into the meta commentary that this episode has, which – Married with Children has always walked a very, very, very delicate line between meta and satirical. And this one, they're actually jumping belly button first up into the meta area. And I think there's, I try, I tried doing a little research myself. I couldn't find any reviews or commentaries or magazines or anything quoting negative reactions to Married with Children that probably were happening during this time. And one of the things I'm thinking of are do you guys are you guys both aware of the show Rick and Morty? Yeah. Yeah. And are you aware of the big fandom that came on about about a year and a half ago where the writers and the creators were getting a lot of critique and anger from certain fans? They were telling them this is not how this character would be or this is how this character would act and this is the secret. Oh, Rick, you guys are actually saying that Rick is a, uh anti-libertarian who's against the blah, 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 blah. And it, a huge thing that popped out was the, one of the show's main creators, like one of the writer of the creators, Dan Harmon, pretty much said it out loud on his podcast, Harmon Quest, and later episodes that they made actually subliminally made that point that you're not supposed to like Rick. You're not supposed to like the negative things these characters do. We're writing them to be funny, and we're taking, in a realistic sense, toxic, masculine, uh, aggressive tendencies and putting them in a comedic way. We're not endorsing that stuff. We're just laughing at it because that's one of the ways to address these things that we all know are out there. Boy. And I want to talk on that because you have this customer come in and she needs shoes and um, she says she's in a hurry. Man, she doesn't even give Al five seconds. That was close. Yeah. Oh, no. I'll take care of this one. You have to go in the back room and do whatever it is you do back there for hours on end. It's called inventory. <laughs> you call it whatever you want to. Uh, excuse me, madam. How may I serve you? Do you have this in an 8AA? Well, let me check. Oh, well, you'll have to hurry. I don't have much time. Yeah, that is weird, man. She gives him precisely five seconds. I counted. Because I work in a very small freaking store, and I could not go back to the place where we have napkins and get back up to a customer in the amount of time that she gives Al 
to go and find a very specific shoe size. I was so mad. <laughs> and that's when I knew this episode was meta, when that happened. I'm like, okay, we're in a SNL sketch, because she just gets up and leaves in five seconds. Yeah, why even go? If you had five seconds, what did you think was going to happen? You, he couldn't un- undo the laces fast enough for you to try these, or, you know, no, she's not buying sneakers, but you know what I mean. Like, he couldn't do anything fast enough for her to do anything. So it's like, if you have that much time, just... Go to your car and go do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> it's like the funniest thing that they set that up just so, uh, like, it would have been make more sense even if she just was a normal person. Like, that was actually, that was lazy writing. It would have been better if she just sat down and, like, one of her friends said, hey, you got to come check out this hot guy and, you know, whatever, by uh, online at, you know, uh, the pretzel store or whatever, you know, like, and then she just runs out and then somebody else comes in or something, you know, to, to say I'm in a rush and then have five seconds to spare is just weird. <laughs> or if the editor noticed this, like it, you just noticed it, Alex, and ran to the writer's room, but they were all passed out from drinking too much Kahlua and had to come up with a better idea. You do a fade in and fade out and have her look at her watch within two seconds and we can infer that 10 or 15 minutes had passed yeah something or have al or or, this was my thing you know as a semi-professional writer he could be yelling aaron i got lost how do i get out of here something like that yeah and then she says oh please and then leaves you know yeah and and who directed this episode uh, jerry cohen cohen jerry Cohen. And you can't... The main... There's no excuse here. And I I agree with you, Alex. There is no excuse here. And he would have caught that. This is a meta episode. And it's meant to... Like... We're, you know where this is going. It's going to be a fat woman. A lot of probably people raise their eyebrows when a semi-attractive... I don't want to say attractive. When a semi- non-calorically challenged woman (laughs) (laughs) it works thank you marcy when a non-calorically challenged woman walks in and you're like wait what but we but the episode's moving she should be a fat woman (laughs) and then she leaves the second she gets up you know what's gonna happen oh yeah so yeah they're like we'll be lazy you think we're lazy well fine we'll be lazy and we're gonna give you all the junk food you want right Excuse me, miss. Are you sitting on someone? <laughs> what? Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, how, how may I serve you? How do you think this would look on me? I wear a size four. <laughs> I have tiny toes. Don't you think? Oh, yes, indeed. For sausages, 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 sausages. Is it bad to call a fat woman's foot a bunch of sausages when you are a paid employee to provide a service? Yes, in real life, Al should be fired. I know that. You know that, Alex. You know that, Stephen. When we're watching Mirror with Children, we're laughing at the surrealistic hilarity of this guy staring at these over-aggressive... No woman would say that, sticking her feet in his face. My toes! I have such dainty little toes! (laughs) 
that would never happen. And that's the reason we do this. And it's, I think this episode was made, maybe the creators were hearing people say, Hey, I'm going to be an Al Bundy. Al Bundy's the man. I'm going to berate my wife, too. I, I don't know. Like, I... Maybe there were actual complaints. Maybe there were nicely worded letters from housewives and teenage boys to the writers and the studios. Fox was still small enough that it would probably read these handwritten letters. And maybe we're trying to address, no, guys, Al and his friends are losers. And if you actually want to be like this, you're going to be a loser. But also, let's lean back and laugh at them. So yep. that that's just my personal opinion. Because mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat. Kind of, nothing ages worse than comedy. So, yep, mm-hmm. that's just my little list. Yeah, sorry to get on my soapbox. I didn't mean to do it. No, that. that's what we're <laughs> here for. You know, and then there, you know, I think I remember Jamie saying in uh, the season eight, uh, in the season, uh, the very first uh, episode of season eight, that people were complaining all the time. It's just now. They all have a forum for it. That now everyone has a form, a platform to do yeah. this, and that, and yeah. it's you know with Twitter and everything, and now when celebrities do the same thing, then it's more amplified. So yeah, and well, I thought she good, hit the nail on the head. We're in the good version of that, guys, where we edit our own content and we learn on our platforms that hey, you know what, what we just said doesn't need to be said right there. So we're <laughs> learning while we speak. You know, and most people do have that internal sensor to not say what's on their mind. Right. We just like to get a kick out. Yeah, we just get a kick out of it when someone does it because it makes us laugh. Because hey, I was thinking the same thing, but we dare not say it. Or not only are we going to lose jobs, we're going to lose friendships. We're going to lose. Uh, we're going to build walls between our spouses and our kids and other right. relatives. So yeah, we're not going to. Yeah, we're not going to alienate all of our favorite. You know. Uh personalities in our life just to uh, get a joke out you know it's not that important and it and you gotta remember that this is these are performers and that's why you can't be like al in real life he's it's a it's a show i mean what makes you think that people are really going to react positively to to you talking to them the way al does you know i mean that is people a show do, though al that's oh, I know. Sad thing. <laughs> I know. But it's like, it's like, th- that's why this is an entertainment. It's just the same as anything. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, go, you know, going and shooting 30 guys in a mall or whatever. You, you think you could do that? Because why? Like, you can't. Like, it's the same difference. You can't talk because to people this way. You can't do what he does. Like, it's, it's entertainment. That's why you can't do it. <laughs> so it's like, or you, you, oh, you think you're going to kill kids at a camp because you love Jason? Like, you can't do things that are done in entertainment in real life. And that's why it has, that's, it's presented that way as entertainment. And that's the point. And you have to separate that. And that's the point of being a sane person to an insane person. You know, uh, real quick. And George Carlin, George Carlin has one of the perfect quotes for this situation. Political correctness is fascism pretending to be manners. Oh, man, I love and hate that man so much. <laughs> he knew when he wrote those words that I'm going to simplify a very, 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 very complicated thing, political correctness, into one word that will piss off the haters and make the people who support me even worse because they have to really know I don't mean it. 
I love that man, and I know how we spoke. So. <laughs> I just love how we're an hour into this, and we only did six minutes of the episode. Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, well, the rest of this episode is going to glide by because it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, so. you know uh, real quick, a friend of mine in seminary, he uh, said, we can't call people fat anymore. It's now gravitationally disadvantaged. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. Uh, Me being short, I'm altitudinally dis, uh, disadvantaged. <laughs> and you you give your quotes um, and such weight when you start them with my friend in seminary said. Yeah, no pun intended. Very curious. No pun. Absolutely. Literally gives intended. Them Stephen. It well, just it, gives it the, weight. The best part of this whole exchange is how Al thought that she was sitting on the other woman. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> that was the greatest moment right there. But his eyes face. He's like, well, where is, is she under you? <laughs> Alex, would you have had any more different facial reaction than Al? No. If you walked away in five, literally five seconds and came back. And there's a completely different person there in that same exact chair. Yeah, like it. it the, what makes it so funny is that it's a logical wonderment of Al. Like, like it. It's not crazy for him. Like because we know what he thinks of fat people. He thinks so little of them. So to think that you know she might possibly be so fat she's sitting on someone and doesn't even know it. Like it. It's almost like you could say it's funny because it's true, but like it's not. But it's funny because we know that Al's it's it's Al's truth. <laughs> so that's what makes it funny. You know what I mean? All I do is I- interact with people in a customer service setting, Alex. If I don't know them in real life, anybody I interact with now, thanks to COVID, is all in customer service. If I was Al, I really would have had his exact same facial reaction. Been like, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, was it? Did you? Did you happen to see another woman? I, how can I help you, ma'am? Well, right. that, that's that is literally what I would have said. So Al is not far off in his no. Looney Tunes world. No, he's actually kind of spot on <laughs> to a certain extent. <laughs> Did yeah. you eat somebody? Did you sit on that woman? <laughs> she's far off by thinking she's a size four. <laughs> oh, I thought God. women were all size sixes. That's what I I didn't like that either because yeah, doesn't Al Continuity. do that sometimes? Because all women are sixes, right? Doesn't he say that in the early in, episode? Like, one of the one first of season, yeah. right? First season, episode four, I believe. Okay, wow. Okay, I loved that he said that, and I always remember that. So when when she said four, I was like, ooh. That's you could be fatter in the early eighties, uh, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 but I was just like, that's not uh, that's not married with children. No, they're all sixes. <laughs> what do you mean four? Everyone's six. All women are sixes. He right. says it's so sad, and it's just like, uh, yeah, I guess women were allowed to be fatter in the in the eighties. That's why they all wore those bushy sweaters. <laughs> Moving right along, now we go to a no man meeting. No. Before we get to the main topic of tonight's meeting, which is what in the hell is this country coming to when a man can't speak his mind without losing his parking space? Yes! That's right. We'll hear the minutes of our last meeting. Jefferson? Thank you. <clears throat> the meeting was called to order at 8 o'clock. We discussed the pros and cons of the single urinal versus the trough. <laughs> at 8.15, we voted on whether or not we'd rather do Anne Margaret or Alan Arkin. <laughs> Uh, 
That should be Ellen Barkin. <laughs> Damn. Dad's in the garage with a bunch of his friends. How are we supposed to get to our refrigerator? Are they all men? Yeah. No problem. <laughs> you see, there are several genetic flaws in all men that can be acted on for reasons of distraction. I shall demonstrate the strangest one. I'm sorry, I didn't know you guys were in here. Oh, look. A football. No man to order. Screw the meeting. Is a cute blonde going to come in and throw a football around? That's all I'm interested in. Oh, Alan's gross. That is so gross. I So I watched it. I watched this episode when I when I woke up, and then I went grocery shopping, and I came back, and I watched it for notes, and then I went and did some more work, and then I came back, and I watched it for fun. The time I watched it for fun, because I watched it with notes, I didn't really think about it, but when I watched it for fun, because in my notes I wrote, wow, Kelly's wearing a shirt that shows her nipples through a bra. I'm going to cut that out, but... <laughs> It, it, I was like, damn. And then I watched it before you guys called me and her going, are they all men? And I remember writing that note down and I'm like, ew, gross. Oh, God. She's going to like make these 40-year-old friends of this guy like drool over his daughter. But then she grabs a football and I'm like, whew. That's what I thought. I, yeah. That threw me off, too. I thought she was definitely going to use her sexuality to distract them, but... Instead, she goes in there with a football and... Hey, guys, look at my hot daughter's tits. Like, no, that's gross. (laughs) Don't do that. Ew. Uh, Well, he had Kelly dance uh, when they were looking for gold, right? So Uh, she she forgot that for the Hicks. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. She does put her out there sometimes. Oh, yeah, that's that's strategic. That's different. (laughs) But, like, to make Al's friends and possibly Al, because he's Mm -hmm. in the group, Mm -hmm. uh, I just, look, if I had a, I have friends who have daughters that are going to be teenagers soon. That's the last thing I'm ever going to think. I don't care what they're wearing or walking in on. Like, ugh. I don't know. It just, it grossed me out. And I really believe some editor or some writer uh, caught that and said, stop. Gary Cohen's like, stop, Kelly, here. Yeah, Tosses her football. football. Now, as you know, I lost my beloved parking space just because I chose to speak my mind. Today, you're supposed to write to the organization of bald people. Just ask permission to call them chrome domes. Then you're supposed to fax the Fatso Society, and ask permission to assign zip codes to each time. Dad, I just thought you guys might want to see this paper airplane I made. Son, we've all seen a paper airplane before. Made out of Miss January. It's weird, too. Like, Bud distracts him with a paper airplane in Miss January, and it's like... Why would he need a whole turkey two minutes after Kelly just took in a whole ham? Like, isn't that enough for the three of them? Like, what are they doing? Like, you know, I get the joke. We have to keep this running, this gag. And it's like, 
Yeah, but can you at least try to make sense on some? And that's just another example of why season eight is just a failure compared to seven. Just these little things like that. And I know that's being picky and stuff, and it's being like, well, no, it's a show. No, it's just... not. Yeah, but and I have an argument for it, Alex. Yeah. Um, okay. You're gonna hate me for this argument because it works off my theory from before, mm. where they're restocking this fridge. Mm. Um, it has now been at least a day or two, maybe three. Since this whole thing happened, there would not have been a whole turkey in the fridge of a funeral of a dead person. There would have been turkey slices wrapped up. Mm-hmm. A whole turkey implies, while I was at work, they cooked that at the house right. and put it in the fridge. With the, not, with the happy knowledge of knowing that Al wouldn't be there and the strategic way of they're going to get it away from him while he was still there. Mm. And eat it fondly. The gravy will be that Al is not going to have any of it. I'm wow. serious, guys. They are that nasty. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. meta, meta episode, meta nasty. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I want to address that because, uh, you know, Al is saying the main topic of tonight's meeting, which is why a man can't speak his mind without losing his parking space. You know, that's the crux of this whole episode course they had to discuss a couple of other things one of those was the pros and cons of the single urinal versus the trough <laughs> i'm like my god i don't know i don't know how i know alex you're like 41 right yeah and tyler what are you 30 or 32 30 have you guys ever had the, the misfortune of peeing in a trough once once yeah okay. <laughs> i hated those damn things <laughs> it's kind of like because you, you know you don't have any personal space. Oh no. God, it was awful. I hated those. We're bringing up other shows, uh, guys. Uh, have you either? You guys watched F is for Family on Netflix? Mm-mm. No. Oh, it's awesome! It's a really great animated show showing um, the '70s without the lens of nostalgia. And this kid is at a baseball game with his dad watching his dad get drunk and talk to his work friends and he's getting like really uncomfortable so he's like dad i'm gonna go uh, to the bathroom he's like all right go ahead he goes in there and there's the trough and there's and he, all these men are much taller than him this kid's like 11 and all he sees are overweight middle-aged men stall doors without that are open and he's traumatized by what he sees like i can't do the the scene justice it's all imagery but it's just it f's him up like he walks away in a stupor like this is what i'm gonna grow to be like i i can't i can't imagine (laughs) i don't know if that was the thing it was one the personal space and two it's like you know, peeing is just a private thing. I can't do it in a trough. Not anymore. No, it's all about privacy, Stephen. I agree yeah. with you. That's why that scene works. Anybody who's listening to this has seen Evans Family will know what I mean. Yeah, can you imagine being pee shy, though? Yeah. Then what do you yeah. do? Yeah, just stand there and... <laughs> stand there and wait for everybody to leave, but that never happens? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, spit really hard. like. <laughs> Believe it or not, I worked at a school district uh, called Midway. It's... Uh, you guys wouldn't know what I'm referring to, but uh, it's it's in a rural area, not very big, and yes, they had a peeing trough in the guy's bathroom, hmm. along with two other stalls. 
I thought to myself, a uh, hole in the middle of the floor where yeah. everyone has to circle around, just piss into it. Oh like, man! But anyway, and then they have a discussion about Anne Margaret and Ellen Barkin, who they thought was Alan Arkin. <laughs> okay, who is Ellen Barkin? I've heard that name. Only heard that name. When I think of Ellen Barkin, my mind picks up. It's is it a woman who has like a dog face? Like no, Ellen no, she's attractive. She was born April 16, 1954, and her breakthrough role was in the 1982 film Diner. In the following year, she has starring roles in Tender Mercies and then The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to. The Big Easy, Johnny Handsome, and Sea of Love was probably her uh, one of her biggest roles. And she also got a leading role in Switch, but that really, really stunk. However, she did get a nomination for Best Actress, but the movie itself was just horrible. Uh, she did several other movies, and she hasn't done anything really since about 20, 2010, 2014 at the latest. But uh, And Margaret, on the other hand, wow. I've seen a lot of her movies. Oh, yeah. If you haven't, you, you talk about Looney Tunes a lot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a movie called The Villain? Yes. Yes. That is Looney Tunes to the nth degree. And that was one of my first movies with Anne Margaret I saw. she I was like about 11 years old. So I like to say she was the reason I went through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, oh, wow. Ellen Arkin was in Get Smart 2008. You guys ever seen that Get Smart movie? Um, That's a lot of fun. With Steve Carell? I didn't like it. Oh, I think he did. He definitely felt like he had the, you know, he had a feel for the old show. He was trying to bring that, the same vibe that the show had back. And the show was trying to be an action movie instead of a comedy, I thought. That's just my opinion. And Steve Carell totally was playing the part that he was in an action movie. The director just forgot he was in one. (laughs) All right. But, um, yeah, so so the meeting is going through the minutes and in between the meeting, we had our, as me and Alex pointed out, the, and my evidently pointing out, the good working in of all the characters of the Bundy household. Each one goes in there to dis, uh, distract the no man meeting to get the secret food. We have uh, Kelly coming in, as we mentioned previously with the football. So cute how they all dive on that football. And then the fat dude, uh, is it, wait, what's his name again? Bob Rooney? Bob Rooney, thank you. Um, he crushes the football. and um, oh, forgot about that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then we've got uh, Bud coming in with a paper airplane, a very good one. It flies pretty nicely, made with Miss June on it. <laughs> and um, all the men are looking at it, and, well, back to the table again, where they come up with the idea of Ironhead Haynes. Now, what we need to do is to find someone who can tell us how to fight this insanity. That's right. We need a man's man. Right. Someone who's always called his own shots. A leader to lead us through the 90s. A man among men. Ironhead Haynes! The mythical man of all men. Who's Ironhead Haynes? 
The gruffest, toughest man to ever graduate from Polk High. He had a beard in the seventh grade. <laughs> and a wife. Took out his own appendix with a pocket fisherman. He could have been a great football player for Polk High, but he refused to take off his spurs. He wore boots to play football? No boots, just spurs. Well, you know, they... They can't all be football stars like we were. <laughs> or cheerleaders like I was. Hey, I did some very dangerous flips. And I, uh, I helped fire the cannon after each touchdown. Yeah. Was that you? Well, uh, where can we find this Iron Head Hanks? Rumor has it he lives alone on top of the highest mountain in Illinois. Well, then we'll go tomorrow and seek his guidance. Agreed. Who had a beard in the seventh grade and a wife and uh, a lot of other cool attributes. I just love how they immediately... It's like I'm just waiting for someone to break out a harmonica and just start telling the legend of Ironhead Haynes. It's so like folksy the way they get into it one thing that did strike me is um i thought the build-up was too good for what he had to offer once you met him and it seemed like he'd be this old wise you know well i mean at least they they sort of they didn't say he'd be wise or anything like that but it seemed like he had some some kind of wealth of knowledge or something you know um because of how they built him up, and when you go up there, it's so, it's so downplayed that I kind of don't know if that adds to it or not, or if it it just didn't work because it's season eight. But it's almost like instead of coming up with really insightful, funny observations like George Carlin style or something like that, like instead it was just a whole lot of I don't know. Well, well, I guess, or yeah, I think so, you know. And like, I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird, like the this like folklorish build up to not much substance. I guess I kind of felt the same way. Kind of similar. I think you talked about that in a tisket a tasket can Peggy make a basket? You know, right. you know, I had all this build up, but not a great payoff. Right. It's like the same thing here in a way. Like, I really thought that because I didn't I didn't memorize this episode that much. So uh, or at all, really, I really had no idea what he was going to say. So, yeah, like when they go and meet, I was like really excited for all this like great stuff. And I, you know, they got like a famous singer, I guess, and all that, which I, I really don't know any of his music or anything, but I heard of him. And yeah, it was some sort of let down. I'm jumping ahead. And yeah, you're not jumping ahead, Alex. And you actually brought up. A uh, sorry to cut you off a little bit here, but you actually segued us into the final scene of this show, and I did a lot of. Um, I specifically, I told you, I watched this episode three times today. I watched this scene, uh, cutting away from the No Man group hmm. and towards the Ironhead Hayes climax because there's nothing after Ironhead, like it's right. all over here, and this whole scene is set up very, very, very. In a weird way. First off, it's set up like a Sermon of the Mount kind of deal, or specifically Moses going up to Mount Sinai. Well, and uh, did I did I say the wrong thing, Stephen? Which one? No, that's that's the, right. It was Mount Sinai. It is Mount Sinai. Right? I was just going to mention in Illinois, the tallest mountain is Charles Mound, and uh, 
it's about 1200 and 1200 feet high okay i was wondering what what the real one was because they said the tallest one there so i was wondering which one it would be well, Stephen's confused because he's only ever seen Charles Mount. He never went about five miles to the west and saw the one that was exactly the size of Mount Sinai. I guess he just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the disclaimer, there's no mountain the size of Mount Sinai in Illinois. But let's <laughs> pretend there is. And Al's so out of weight that it might be like climbing up Mount Sinai. Hmm. Hey, wait. Look, how do we know that Ironhead Haynes is even up there? Yeah, this legend could just be made up. That's true, Al. He could be as phony as your wife's hair color. <laughs> or as real as your wife's hair color, Roger. I know it's real, because it matches her mustache. Oh, yeah. Okay, come on, come on. Look, guys. Are we going on or not? Of course we're going on. Name me one good reason why we shouldn't. <laughs> well, I'm going on. Yeah, well, I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you when you get back. Yeah, have, yeah, have a nice trip. <laughs> Thank you, candy asses. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm no candy no, ass. <laughs> well, think we'll ever see him again? It's hard to say. This mountain has killed before. It could kill again. Trail mix, anyone? Yeah! <laughs> All the guys go up there. Al's the only one who's not a sissy to do so. And he candy goes, ass, oh, he says. Candy ass, thank you. And Jefferson was a cheerleader, so that's sort of candy ass. <laughs> Proud cheerleader. He he was like, I'm going to time this just right to let everyone know I'm a cheerleader, because I'm proud of that. Which takes a lot of athleticism to be a male cheerleader. You are throwing women up and catching them and not letting them break their necks. Well, I'll say this too. There's another example of why season eight's not as good as anything else that's come before it. Like, you see how far they took that? I was a cheerleader, he says. Now... Back I in like the er- well, back in the earlier seasons, Steve, during the Jim Jupiter episode, Steve does a not so manly reference. Al's talking about yeah, the football. That's where the men were, and he goes yeah, football and the band. You know, <laughs> so it's funny that the band is like he's acting like that was a manly thing, and that there's a real humor to that because it's sort of not manly and it's sort of not nothing that bad but it's just like kind of not cool and, and and there's like and like cheerleader is just so pointed it's so obvious yeah on top of that in high school i remember this uh you know we had a couple of male cheerleaders on our team i was on the actual football team mm-hmm. and i've also met a couple of male cheerleaders like at the school district i teach at you had a gut feeling, and quite often they're right. Quite often they turn out to be gay. Well, specifically, the idea of being a male cheerleader, not just as a cheap Jake gay joke, is also to show that the man is not. And this is specifically the way Married with Children is orchestrating this joke. Hmm. Any other show would bring up a male cheerleader as being gay, as you just said, Stephen. <laughs> they're made on truths, um, and, and you know. Well, it's still true. Time. He's married to Marcy. 
<laughs> but hold on. <sighs> he never ever fails to deliver for Marcy. This is canon. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, um, in many, many ways. Mm. Um, but uh, in this show, specifically with how Jefferson uh, flips on this cheerleading thing, with how he reacts to everybody quieting down after he says I'm a cheerleader, what does he say? He deepens his voice. I made note of that. He deepens his voice. He tucks his chin into his chest, throws his chest out, and goes... But I fired the... I'm doing it right now. But I fired the cannon after each touchdown. Oh, that was you? It kind of grunts. And it's not the fact that he's gay. It's the fact that he would be doing something that's considered feminine. And not manly, which we have all stated. Anybody who's seen a male cheerleader works, that requires an intense amount of athleticism and physical strength to do that. Hmm. So... This, it's just another mark. Like I said, just this episode, Alex, you're absolutely right with the decline of season eight and almost Mm. every other episode. This particular one, I really think Jerry Cohn is specifically choosing very, 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 very lazy jokes to point out and placate maybe in an ironic sense. Maybe he's being forced to by the network and he's doing it in a very cynical way. and Ed O'Neill and Katie Seagal were very accomplished actors. I'm thinking he talked to them about this. Really go at 120%, guys. I want to cynically play Kate to these toxic fans that are not getting the actual clever humor that we're doing on the show. Well, you mean the writer, not Jerry Cohen. Well, not Jer- well, Jerry Cohen's not the writer, but he was the director. I'm sure he was working with the writers. He was one of the producers and creators of the show. So, like, he... Oh, had yeah. an idea, wasn't he? Wasn't Jerry Cohen one of the original creators? I didn't know that. Was, I'm I don't not think the creators. So. One, of the, one of the original producers. I didn't even know he was a producer. Maybe you're right. I had no idea. I just I knew he directed it. I but, might have had him in my notes as a producer, but he's been on so many of them. The director really does oh, move the tone of the show and right. where it's going. He would decide where these jokes would be. He could excise certain jokes and no, decide I think, not to use them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think... I think they um, gave up on intelligent humor and instead go for the in-your-face stuff. And it, it's not really horrendously horrible or anything. It, it's still okay. It's just, you know, it's just not as good as what we were used to. That's all. I don't want to, like, pick it my, up. My theory that. could be absolutely wrong, Alex. And the reason I came up with this theory that they are intentionally doing this is with our new uh, our guest star, that's about to appear because I had the same thought as you did when I first saw this episode. Cause I, like I told previous, I told viewers in the past, I am a new fan of Mary with children. I've only seen the show in its entirety for the first time, really like five years ago. Mm. I've seen it all the way every single season, maybe five times since then. Right. But I remember my first time seeing this and this buildup of Ironhead Haynes and Al gets up to that top of that mountain and it's Waylon Arnold Jennings. Yeah, even the name Ironhead Haynes, you would think someone like, um, oh, why is the guy's name escaping me? Who, well, you know who I always thought of when I heard Ironhead Haynes? The guy that Al was when he was going against his security guard in the, in the football. That was spare tire. Spare tire, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I picture a guy like that when I hear Ironhead Haynes. You know, I picture, like, that type of stature. Me too. Or or that whole, yeah, that whole kind of aura about him. When 
when this guy was here, I was just like, oh, okay. You picture manly. Yeah, a manly guy, not a... A man who wouldn't take off his spurs. Not his boots, just spurs. Right. And I don't picture this guy doing any of that. Well, here's the thing, though, and I think it's, uh, I grew up with one foot in Stillwell, Oklahoma. It's a rural town in Tulsa. And um, so I'm surrounded by my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my parents. You know, they listen to some country music. And you got to remember, people in rural America are really tough, too. Uh, It's amazing how tough they are. My grandfather, for example, was part of the D-Day invasion in the third wave. He was actually there. And when they came back from World War II, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, these open sessions to talk. He found a couple of friends that also served and talked to them. Um, and they had to learn how to survive off the land. And I do think he presents it tough, but it's out of context. When you're in Chicago, Alex, you're right. He should be, you know, a big burly guy who played football. Right. Not at someone out in rural Illinois, because <laughs> Chicago's not rural. Not right. the least. Yeah. It, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm dying to hear what you guys think of all this. So what do you think of all these exchanges? Well, you must be Ironhead Haynes. Yep. And you must be some idiot that don't know there's a road on the other side of this map. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I brought you some gifts. Me and my buddies want to give you a token of our esteem. Uh, in here, I got uh, some beer nuts, and uh, here's a, a tire gauge, and uh, oh, here's the football that I scored my first touchdown with at Poke High. So, go on, go on. Not my game. Oh. Well, then, uh, the, the, the beer nuts can be from me. Oh, and, uh, Here's something here. Uh, Jefferson didn't know what to get you, so he got you a silk shirt. You know. I've never had one of these before. <laughs> it's not bad. Now, what can I do for you? Well, Ironhead, things have gotten pretty rough for us free thinkers back in civilization. Old people get mad at you if you call them old. Foreign people get mad if you tell them to go home. You'd be surprised the slightest thing will set a gimp off these days. I I suppose that's why you moved up here, isn't it? No, I moved up here to get in touch with my feminine side. I'm kidding. I'm just teasing. Unfortunately, many can't move to a mountain because uh, they're married to one. But uh, we need your wisdom to help guide us through our daily hell. Tell us what you believe. I believe that uh, when you got to spit, you got to spit. Right now, I got to spit. Oh, this is good stuff. And I believe that everybody that's got more money than they can hold in both hands ought to give it all to me. I believe that all animals were put on this earth to to make faces at me. And I really believe that that damn doctor didn't have to put this plate in my head. 
doctor knows best. <laughs> but, but tell us, what can we do to fight back? Well, I don't know. Maybe this song will say it the best. <laughs> Nothing. That's it? That's, that's the message? That's it. You know, men like us are dinosaurs. Real, live, dead dinosaurs. Listen, I got buddies down here waiting for you to give us a plan of action. My football. I can't just tell them it's all over, that life as we know it is gone, and we'll never be like this again. Well, if it isn't Mr. Sunshine. The only problem with being a dinosaur is there ain't no future in it. But there is one hell of a past. Now, what you need to do is act like the mighty Tyrannosaurus and leave deep prints. Leave deep prints? That's it. Let them know that you've been there. I got it! Oh, wait a second. What if my buddies don't believe that I met you? Is there there's something here that you can give me to prove that we met? Well... How about that sack of flour? Well, anything without mealy bugs in it? I guess that leaves my beard out. All I got left now is this uh, guitar that my dearly beloved departed grandmother left me and my Victoria's Secret catalog. Here, I can't give up my social. Thank you, Ironhead. And I'll see to it that your legend lives on. You're still my idol, because you're afraid of nothing. Well, now, that's not necessarily true. I'm deathly afraid of magnets. <laughs> if a big one wants to roll by here right now, my head is history. Now, I suggest that you get on back down that mountain in a hurry. Why? Is it going to rain? No, but I do feel another spit coming on. <laughs> Jennings. He was born June 15, 1937, and he died, unfortunately, on February 13, 2002. He was a singer and a songwriter, country music. He began playing guitar at age 8 and began performing at the age 12 on KDOW Radio. And then he formed his band, the Texas Longhorns. They should have called themselves the Sooners instead. But anyway, Jennings left high school at age 16. He wanted to become a musician. And he bounced around as a performer and a DJ on many different radio stations in Coolidge, Arizona, and in Phoenix. In 1958, Buddy Holly arranged Jennings' first recording session, hired him to play Jennings, hired him to play, and Jennings gave up his seat on the ill-fated night in the 1959 crash that killed Holly, J.P. Big Bopper Richardson, and Richie Valens. So, we could have lost him at a much earlier time. Anyway, Jennings formed a rockabilly club band, the Whalens, the Whalers, and uh, which became around the house at the JDs, a club in Scottsdale, Arizona. He recorded for an independent <laughs> label, Trend Record, and AM Records, but he never achieved success until getting to RCA. After finally wrestling creative control away from RCA, his career turning point became the critically acclaimed albums Honry and Mean and Honky Tonk Heroes. 
followed by his LP hits Dreaming My Dreams and Are You Ready for the Country. During the 70s, he was instrumental in the inception of Outlaw Country and with Willie Nelson and Jesse Kotler recorded Country Music's first platinum album called Wanted, The Outlaws. It was followed by Old Whalen and the hit song Lukenba, Texas. Now, here's the big thing. How many of you have ever seen the old uh, TV show uh, Dukes of Hazard? Yeah, I've seen a few episodes. He's the balladeer. Whoa! Yeah. Really? He sings the theme song, and he's the one who does the narration. That is Waylon Jennings. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw. Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curves, flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. Making their way, the only way they know how. That's just a little bit more than the normal life. Just a good old boy. Change if they could Fighting the system like a two modern day Robin Hood You mean every time someone says those Duke boys That's right, uh-huh, that is him He did do some touring and between 99 and 2000 and But he was having health problems He had to kick a cocaine habit And in 2001 he went to the Country Music Hall of Fame 2007, he was posthumously awarded the Cliff Stone Pioneer Award by the Academy of Country Music. And I'm going to add one more little credit onto there, Stephen, because that Duke Boys thing I just quoted actually wasn't from an actual episode. Seth MacFarlane also got him onto Family Guy for uh, that little clip they did of Dukes and Hazard in um, the Southern episode, I Live and Love and Die in Dixie. When uh, Peter's car is going over. Sorry, my like, TV will not play the Family Guy. Oh, it's fine, but Good. I'm just saying, like, they got him really late into his life, and he sounded good in that clip. Like, they actually got the... Because, like, I remember hearing that, and I'm like, wow, they got a guy who sounded very similar to the Dukes of Hazard, dude. I didn't realize it was actually him. Okay. So I wanted to just get that off my chest, because I knew quite a bit about him. <laughs> he had a very, very distinguished life, and all country music, he... Stayed mostly into tough, countryish, outlawish kind of roles and stuff. So well, he he really helped that outlaw country come to life. You know, and if you're wondering what outlaw country is, um, you know, it's a form of country music that glorifies the outlaws. I guess you could really say Smokey and the Bandit was a movie for outlaw country. Only the first one, though. The other two are horrible. Oh, God, they're unwatchable. The third one is one of the worst sequels ever made, but I digress. I thought the second one was even unwatchable. I was way, I was so excited. I bought this three-pack. I never made it to the third one. and um, Don't bother. I could, oh, yeah. The second one, I just could not believe how mind-numbingly dull it was compared to the first one. I was like, oh, like within 45 minutes, I said, I can't do this to myself. I saw the first one very, very young. And thought it was one of the most fun movies I'd ever seen in my entire life. 
and I never thought they made sequels until I saw Bill and Ted when the station guys are doing charades, and I think it's Einstein in Heaven who goes, Smokey and the Bandit! I think it's either two or three. Two! Smokey is the Bandit! And I'm like, the hell is that? The hell is that a reference to? And then I look it up, and I'm like, there's sequels? Oh, I bet they're goofy and fun, too! No. No. Especially not the third one. Absolutely not. <laughs> Disgusting. So you're you're right, Alex. This guy, he fits. His background fits, but not aesthetically, right? But yeah, like who's this dude? And I would love to know. I really wish. This is why we want those commentaries on those sound on those on those DVD releases. Tell me why this guy. He's not a nobody. They definitely would have had to find this guy's agent and ask him to be a guest star. And Married with Children was not a nothing show. They could have gotten somebody. So it's, why him? Well, Al thinks a lot of him because he brings uh, the football he scored his first touchdown with over to this guy to give to him uh, as a as a gift to get this knowledge, you know, in, in exchange. Uh, he... <laughs> He throws the football and it's it just the guy doesn't even attempt to catch it and then it just goes down the mountain I guess and that's the end of that and uh, so that's a sad thing. What else He's, does he bring, Alex? Uh, beer nuts. He has he has um, a tire gauge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A tire gauge. <laughs> like and also this is an example of clever writing. Beer nuts. You can't talk about or just or even say out loud beer in, in certain ways like you actually have to write back then you actually had to write out permission slips and um, get permission from the networks to say al is going to mention the word beer he's not going to hold it he's not going to drink it but he is going to be referring to him drinking he's talking about beer Bringing up beer nuts is a nice way of inferring that obviously this dude in this flannel would prefer a six-pack, not mm. just beer nuts. Right. But you're talking about beer nuts, we all know what he's actually talking about. So it's a clever way to bring up beer without actually saying it. Yeah, so they do that, and Al just complains about political correctness, basically. So yeah, like we said, being meta with this episode, then... <laughs> See, I was, I don't know, I didn't, you know, I don't know the episode word for word, but, and then it, I know quickly after not being impressed by some of responses, uh, we get to his song. He said, I think the song will say everything. And then he strums the guitar and says nothing. Like, obviously that's the joke that, you know, nothing. He's a country music singer. Even if you don't know who he is, you can tell by the audience's reaction. When he grabs the guitar, they all start applauding. Now, sometimes you're not allowed to play real music. Like, I remember when Michael Jackson was on The Simpsons, he wasn't allowed to really sing because of, like, the uh, record company wouldn't allow that. I'm not saying that's why. Maybe he's allowed to strum and say one word, and then they say, well, we could use that as a joke or whatever. But, like, like I get the joke how it's the joke is he has nothing to offer. But I'm not sure if that's the right payoff for the buildup and, and the point of all this. And then... Exactly. Exactly. It's a fuck you to the audience, Alex. Like, it's yeah. a fuck you. They wouldn't have got him if they wouldn't be allowed to play his music. He's not Michael Jackson. If this was Tim McGraw uh, or, or uh, Toby Keith, yes. 
that would be a joke where they'd be like, well, Toby Keith's like, I'm sorry, man, my contract's tied up with four different tours and stuff like that. I can't really play any music. Or, real quick, as a musician, he could have written just a short little thing. Yeah. Just for that show. Well, no, well, Michael couldn't even sing Lisa at your birthday, though. So, like, I don't think it matters. I just think you're not allowed to sing for anyone else. Steven, you're right. He's right about that. Like, oh, okay. When you become a named person, you can't even appear at your friend's kid's birthday right. party right. and sing. nothing. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Lisa, it's your birthday. God bless you this day. You gave me the gift of a little sister, and I'm proud of you today. Lisa, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Lisa. Lisa, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Lisa. I wish you love and goodwill. I wish I wish you better than your heart desires And your first kiss from a boy Lisa, it's your birthday Happy birthday, Lisa Lisa, it's your birthday Happy birthday, Lisa So, uh, like, but no, like, this guy is not that huge and from his contract around this time, I don't think he would have been that huge. So why even get him? Get someone who is allowed to sing. Well, well, I guess the singing was not the the crux of the whole exchange of jokes here. But like, and that's fine. And it, like I said, it's fine that he just says nothing. And I, I guess that's the joke. But like we all said, I don't think that's the proper payoff to all this buildup. And so like a lot of it just keeps going nowhere. And then... He finally says something that I guess you could cite as remotely profound when he says, dinosaurs. yeah, be like the dinosaur, leave deep prints and let them know you've been there. Like, basically, all he's saying is just make some difference in this world to, you know, because all of our lives in the end are really meaningless. It's all nonsensical. It really all means nothing because... Even if we impact someone else's life, well, that person's going to die too anyway. And if they did it, then that next person's going to die. And and pretty soon this will all be forgotten and there, it just won't travel on. And if it does, who cares if they remember anyway because they'll be dead in real quick time anyway. So, like, it all really means nothing. But, like, I guess the whole point is let them know you've been there. Do something to make some sort of imprint in the world before you're just here and gone and all you did was go to work and come home and cook dinner and clean and hassle with the kids and go to bed and do it again like just do something else make a difference on some level creatively or any positive way or something and i guess that's the only philosophical thing you could take away from this there's really nothing and that's not even funny like the only thing of value that he says isn't even funny and we're watching a comedy he says something that actually does seem very philosophical that's it's a prelude to the dinosaurs big prince and it's something that i like it made me pause my writing and listen to him again hmm. the thing about being dinosaurs is scary al is that you got no future but you got a major past and i'm thinking i'm hearing okay boomer kind of deal like you are 
a generation that doesn't have a future anymore because you've lived it, you've established yourself, you're trying to be an old farty thinking, you're getting mad that you can't insult your gross customers, which you might have been able to get away with that, especially if they were women in the 50s or in the 40s, the way Al thinks about himself or his father, and now he's encountering PC culture, which... In season eight of Married with Children, we know how Al feels about PC culture. We don't need to hear about it. Well, yeah, because we even said when when I was reviewing things back, I get what was it around six or seven season. I said he's complaining about political correctness now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. wait till twenty years from now, Al, or thirty years, whatever. Like, like, oh my god, it's like the dinosaurs complaining about fossils and being in the museums. I'm like, sorry, you're you're dead. You're gone. That, that thinking's gone. All we can do is see it and marvel at it and wonder what it must have been like to be like that back then. Ironhead Hayes is that example. And you know what? Maybe there is a... They didn't... They failed in their execution, but I think there is a, a mode of creative thinking. Let's get a guy that's not a big-name person, a person that nobody would expect a caricature of Al Bundy, who is himself a caricature, and see these two caricatures encounter each other. You think something horrible's happened to Al? Why would you say such a terrible thing? Well, because if he's dead, we could eat his croissant. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> for hard-working people who don't give a rat's ass about political correctness. <laughs> Rule number one, it's okay to call Hooters knockers and sometimes snack trays. <laughs> Rule two, it is wrong to be French. <laughs> Rule three, it is okay to put all bad people in a giant meat grinder. Rule four, lawyers. See rule three. It is okay to drive a gas guzzler if it helps you get babes. Everyone should carpool except me. Bring back the word stewardesses. Synchronized swimming is not a sport. Mud wrestling is a sport. Those are your 10 commandments. But Al, that's only nine. Those are your nine commandments. <laughs> and you would think in any normal show where, if this is your theory, that they would, Al would realize that he's better than this guy who wants to be cooler. No, he actually carries the gospel down the mountains of this guy <laughs> and spreads it like fire. He's not going to change. Al's not going to, there, he's going to hear what he wants to hear and take these ramblings from a man with a plate in his head, afraid of magnets who can kill birds with a spit. The caricature of this guy is hilarious. On paper, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, when he spit and the bird fell down, that was the only thing that kind of um, 
brought to life some of the folklore they, you know, kind of built around them. You better get going. Why, is there rain coming? <laughs> yeah. No, but I do feel another spit. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and then Al, he just says those few things to Al, then suddenly Al has all these commandments that he came up with himself, which, for the most part, were funnier than anything Ironhead said. Oh, definitely. You know? Mm-hmm. Which, but Ironhead, since was played up as our huge guest star, that is why we had the clip of Ironhead, I'm going to read them now, because they are very, they're very fascinating. So, and they're not commandments, guys, they're rules. Well, first he said rules, and at the end he says commandments. Uh, yeah, well... That was weird. He goes, uh, nine commandments then, yeah. Because that's a commandment joke, because commandments, you don't have nine commandments. And even, what was it, uh, George Carlin even said that. Eight commandments? Get the fuck out of here. Like, it's, you gotta have ten. You gotta have that round number. It sounds, and ten sounds important. Oh, it's eleven commandments. The eleven commandments? Get the hell out. Here. Yeah, it's one too many. Yeah, exactly. One too many. So yeah. So instead, we instead of ten commandments, we have rules. Instead of ten, we got nine. And here they are. <clears throat> These are in the voice of Al Bundy himself. Rule number one: It's okay to call Hooters knockers and sometimes snack trays. Rule number two: It is wrong to be French. Period. Uh, That's funny. So lazy. <laughs> it was. It was lazy, but still Al. So yeah. Who cares about the French, yes. Rule number three. It is okay to put all bad people in a giant meat grinder. So all he's saying there is capital punishment. Yeah. That's political, I guess. But, yeah, but that's that's something Al would definitely say, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that works still. What scares you more, guys? Lethal injection? Giant meat grinder. Uh, meat, meat grinder. grinder. Exactly. You're going to think... Three times, not just twice, about doing that crime. Rule number four, lawyers. See rule number three, meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a fun one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do that show. I've heard that variation on many shows. <laughs> uh, rule number four, it's okay to drive a gas cuzzler if it helps you get babes. Uh, rule number five, everyone should carpool except me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's that's the hypocrisy of of uh, of everything. Like, you know, it's just like I remember one case where I don't know if it was a president or not. It was just somebody in the political power and they were against abortion. And yet, like their daughter or something or niece or something like that was raped or just didn't want the kid for whatever reason. And they got an abortion, though. (laughs) So it was okay for them. There was a case that happened here in Oklahoma where a Republican senator who was against abortion took right. his daughter to another state to because she wanted an abortion. So. Right, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what the hypocrisy is, what Al's pointing out there. Everyone but me, because, you know, yeah. you all do it, but I don't want to do that crap. I had an experience like that not too long ago because I used to work with this assistant principal who used to teach science, and he was all worried about climate change and how it's all going to kill us all. And it was the last day of school. We met over at a little Mexican restaurant near where I live. I thought, man, it's so close. I'm just going to ride my bike over. I ride my bike over there. I have a good time. We're leaving. I see Matt. He's the principal. And he's driving his big diesel engine truck. And I actually stopped in front of him. I said, you do realize the hypocrisy here between us and our view on climate change. (laughs) (laughs) He actually had a good laugh about it. 
<laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so, uh, and here's the, ne- the next rule. Uh, eight. Bring back the word stewardesses. That I don't get. What flight attendant? I guess is. Yeah. Flight attendant, because stewardesses is a feminine term, re- meaning that it's a job only for women. It's why we don't have. Um, it's why the term secretary came a thing. Yes, yeah, now administrative assistant. Synchronized swimming is not a sport. I agree. And this one, which I believe is an addendum to the last one, but we'll go with number nine. Mud wrestling is a sport. I agree. (laughs) I also agree. Yeah. I like to watch it. And I've tried to wrestle in mud. It's hard as hell. Very difficult. (laughs) But it's fun if you're with the right chick. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So those are your ten commandments. But now that's only nine. Well, those are your nine commandments, which Mm. I thought was a hilarious remark by that. Like, because... I've done that before, too, where I'm like, all right, three things we need. We need this, 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 and this. But that was four things. Okay, the four fucking things we need. Get going. So, yeah, all of his things, with the exception of the last two, synchronized swimming and mud wrestling, I think we all saw are just very, 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 very lazy uh, components to make fun of Al's character. And I can live with that. I say we all go back and spread the word. And help Al get what appears to be flour out of his hair. <laughs> stupid to start back now. It'll be pitch black before we reach the bottom. Yeah, well, if we're going to stay here, we better keep this fire going. Now, does anybody have something we can throw on the fire? All I have is my Victoria's Secret catalog. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Well, and all we have is these, or these sacred commandments. Sinners, blasphemers, heathens, sinners, hooters. I thought it was weird that they they all have Victoria's Secret catalogs instead of Biggins and stuff like that. I thought of that too. Yeah, there's some weird product placement in this episode. They're grown men. They're not like 14. Like, that's what I used to whack it to when I was like 14 or 13. Like, I thought that was amazing when I found them in the bathroom. I was like, holy crap, look at this. Wait, you had the Victoria's Secret catalog, Alex? Wow, real rich boy here. I only had the Sears catalog. <laughs> well, I think I had Frederick's of Hollywood or something even like worse. I, I definitely had a couple of Victoria's Secrets. I know that. But I had Playboy and I had Penthouse and I had Hustler. My dad kept all that crap underneath the bed. <laughs> Me, yeah, so did my dad under the bed. I think I told a story about that on the the Brandy Brandt episode. Yeah, so yeah, I did progress to Playboy's. I w- I would say mm-hmm. around fifteen. I'm guessing maybe fourteen. But uh, yeah, I did the Victoria's Secret catalog thing and all that. But I just found it weird that like grown men who Al has a stack of Playboys and and wheelbarrows in the basement. Like why? Is he walking around with that? Like, why downgrade? For what reason? I don't get it. Like, like you, like you said, it must be some kind of weird product placement thing. Wait, wasn't that Ironhead Hayes's Victoria's Secret? No, catalog? they all had one. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's right. They all did. Because they didn't <laughs> want to burn them. Right. Yeah, and he got and he gave his guitar that his great grandmother left him instead of the Victoria's Secret catalog. You don't right. give away a guitar. <laughs> Not like that. No. 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 To be split in... I, by the way, uh, viewers, Al was reading these com- these rules on 
the broken halves of Ironhead Hayes' guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which that, is... Well, it was supposed to represent that, the tablets that Moses held when he was giving out the Ten Commandments. So, that's funny, I guess, but... um. That Al smashes that guitar in half the second he's away from Ironhead Hayes. If someone did that to my guitar, they would be in hell. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ironhead! Bam! <laughs> no, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right, we're back from our little break, and let's talk about our ratings right now. So, let's, uh, we got our first, we got our special guest for the tonight, Mr. Alex. How, out of five, how many trips to the secret fridge in the garage are you going to make for this episode of Mary with Children? Wow, uh, man, never did this first. This is a first. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of firsts. I give this a 3.5 out of 5. I think it was a solid episode. Um, like I said, I think the um, the beginning was the stronger end of it for me. I loved the whole thing with Al and the shoe store and he thinking the woman sat on a skinnier woman and then Marcy coming in and killing it with the chicken references, just baiting Al to say something because she knows he cannot resist. So that was just really well done because, um, you know, we already know Al can't resist making fun of a, a fat chick. So you, you might as well, you know, his arch enemy is going to hear about this. So she went in and said, yeah, hey, listen, I know something he can't resist either. So she gave a shot at it. So that was cool. Cool to see Al resist, actually. And then, you know, you get to the no man meeting and then we get to the refrigerator gag and the talk in the meeting. And it was... It was interesting because um, the buildup they gave Ironhead Hayes, it 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 did seem intriguing, and you definitely uh, can't wait to to meet this guy, you know. And then uh, you get that whole thing. Then you you get this cool like outdoorsy shot of like all the guys on this mountain, and there's just these big rocks and like like foresty looking type surroundings around it. But you know it's a mountain, so it's not really like. But, uh, you know, they're in there. Then you have a couple of funny exchanges. Al calls them all candy asses. And you hear that Jefferson's a cheerleader, which is just bizarre. And then we get to the climax of the episode where you meet this guy. And like we said, his appearance just isn't as striking or it just isn't the buildup you, th- you thought. Like we said, we thought like a guy like Spare Tire would be up there. Someone who really appears tough. But, you know, like Steven said, it's not always... W- the presentation is not always the rep- proper representation of what's happening beneath the surface. So, you know, he could be a tough guy, and he, I'm sure he was. Um, but as a viewer and as a kid who had no idea who this guy is, um, it just doesn't play that way. So I'm happy for all the people who knew him and could say, oh, well, yeah, he, I could believe all this stuff from a guy like this. But I couldn't. 
as as a viewer because I wasn't into this guy. So it didn't work for me. Almost nothing he said was really all that funny or interesting or insightful. I was pretty disappointed in, in everything. And, you know, he had a glimmer of something of, of substance, in, in my opinion. And that was just okay, too. And then Al coming down and doing the Ten Commandments thing, it's pretty memorable. It's kind of classic Al Bundy, especially for, like, this point of the show. It's something definitely a goofy thing he'd be doing. So that worked. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, not every commandment was, you know, hilarious, but they were solid enough. I think they could have spent a little more time thinking about a couple of them and, you know, punching them up a little bit better. But yeah, so, you know, overall, I mean, I don't know what that changed or what the outcome of this episode. I don't know how that changed political correctness or, or anything. He just stated that we should be able to do this or that for a few things, but you know, in the, in the sum up, it doesn't really, there's no big resolution or anything. Like, there's no, it doesn't culminate into some big ta-da ending. But it's it's a decent episode. So that's why I go a little bit more than three. And I'll go 3.5 out of five uh, trips to the refrigerator in the garage. I, too, am going to give it three trips to the refrigerator in the, gr- in the garage. But only three. I'm not going to give it that half trip. I agree just about with everything Alex said. It was a lot of buildup but no payoff. Uh, Waylon Jennings was wrong for this episode. I think they should have gone for more like an athlete of some sort, particularly a football player. I think that would have been a lot more impressive. And then the writing is just lazy. And I've noticed these weak endings are very prominent in the, um, in season eight, go back to, a tisket a tasket can Peggy make a basket would be a great example. Then we've got this one. I frankly, and I was putting together one a while ago. There's another episode. Sofa so good. I thought kind of had a weekend, not a great payoff. So I think we can see that happening throughout the this season. And I don't know if the writers are just bored or if they're not, don't know the material well, or if they're just lazy and boning it in. Uh, I think we're seeing how when uh, Ron Levitt left, maybe he was the driving force that helped get things done there a little bit better. Who knows? All right. Well, thank you both, guys. So we have 3.5 trips to the uh, to the fridge for Alex. He got scared on that fourth trip and ran back halfway through. <laughs> I couldn't distract them well enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, went, you went with the Sears catalog. I told you. <laughs> Victoria's Secrets are bust. Um, and then Steven went a full three trips and got filled up on that third one. Me, I'm going to do something a little special here. I've got two ratings, and here's why. My actual rating, and this will stand unless something happens, unless something comes out, an interview... Ed O'Neill says something. I don't know how it ha- will happen. If some news comes out to devalue my theory of this being a carefully crafted meta episode, a middle finger by Jerry Cohen and possibly Ed O'Neill and Katie Segal on the portrayal of specifically Al Bundy and his overly Neanderthalic attitude similar with the way that Rick and Morty challenged their uh, audiences very openly with certain episodes where, and, and like I said, this is my theory. This is, if you disagree with me, completely fine. 
I'm building this out of my own thoughts. There's nothing to confirm or deny this. But since we have a director, Jerry Cohen, and during this episode I did look it up, I was wrong. Jerry Cohen was never a producer. I thought he was. However, he was a director on over 180 episodes of this show. Controlling the camera, controlling the wood, uh, having, you know, say on final writing uh, lines of dialogue and everything. He is not just going to sit back and not say something. So I want to believe that they truly were making that type of episode. And since they were, if I believe that, I'm going to say it's a four out of five. If I'm wrong and my theory does not hold water, I'm going to go with, with three as well as Steven. But I'm going to work on my theory being correct. There are so many instances in this episode of classic Married with Children jokes being used in a lazy way. As if I was a teacher grading this, I'd be like, this is a D-plus paper, but what is wrong with you? You're a student who always gets A's. It's like you intentionally did bad. Uh, your other past ones, like in season eight, I mean, okay, you came in tired, you weren't really prepared or something like that, that's fine, but this one you were prepared, you aced the rough draft, what, what, why did you fail the exam? And I think they had something to say, specifically with Ironhead Hayes. This actually cemented my theory, Alex, thank you very much for bringing that up. Why didn't they choose some a football player or someone more prominent? They were... They wanted the audience to have the same kind of look on their face as Al had. Wait, what? Who are you? <laughs> I expected Santa Claus or the or a football player or Joe Joe Namath or something like that to be standing up there in his in all his glory. You know what would have been funny? Who? Get Bubba Smith to replace Spare Tire Dixon. And Al never knew that uh, they were one and the same or something like that. <laughs> yeah. We have people like this, people that Al adored and everything. Um, or was was John Wayne dead? I don't know if he was, but if John Wayne was still alive at this time, John Wayne to be on there, the Duke himself, to talk about PC stuff. And that would have been a real edgy thing to do, but they did it. He died in 76. Okay, so... If they had gotten him, that would have been insane. Get his corpse up there. But anyway, just to have... They could have gotten somebody. This show was not a nothing show. Fox was something at this point. They could have gotten a real famous guest. They chose to go with this guy, who was not a nobody, but it was not exactly a huge prominent star. So based on that choice, I want to believe they had something they were trying to say with this guy. And we kind of shat on this guy, on Waylon Jennings. He did a good job. I liked him. He read his lines very well. He stood there very stoically. I kind of laughed at the things he was saying, the plate in his head. When he makes that makes that line about animals look, making faces at him, that made me laugh. <laughs> right. I, w I immediately thought of squirrels and raccoons and how they look like they're making faces at you. It's cute. As you were talking, you know who I pictured could have been a great Ironhead Hayes? Who? The, who? the dude who robbed Al's house and when he punched him and they were both went to court. Oh, oh yeah. yeah okay. That would have been good. Yeah, he See? sounds like an Ironhead Hayes. Right there. you got, And we could have gotten a re 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 returning figure. 
even Alex, you're not even a writer and creator of a show. <laughs> and you were able to come up with something. Jerry Cohen has proved his works of knowing what he's doing. And I'm going to give the director. They are the ones who have the main control a lot of times at the end of the day. And he chose to go this way. And if my theory is right, this is a post-meta thing where a show like Married with Children being satire, you got to be careful when you go meta. It can be a complete failure, which I think we all agree this kind of was. Or it can be a groundbreaking thing, which this sadly wasn't. Right. But because of the balls of going that way, I'm going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. Based on its overall performance, it's more like a three. But I still think they were trying to save something. It was uh, it was bringing back a lot of... It was tickling the old Marywood Children funny bone that I had from seasons one, two, and three, and four. And I had a good enjoyment for that. A lot of no ma'am. A lot of uh, great, great chicken jokes. We had like eight chicken jokes at once with Marcy. Mm-hmm. And they came from Marcy. Yeah, Marcy herself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, and we had, the, we had all the family being represented. Uh, we've had... Um, we had a new scene, which I think the mountain and the base of it was literally the campsite where Steve gets stung by all those bees. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the exact same set, but... It's a set we don't see too often. Owl in my hair. Owl in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites. Poison Ivy. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but yeah, all in all, I had a lot of fun with this one. There was a lot of build up. I was we were trying to get Alex on this. Like viewers, you have no idea. Like the the jumping arounds, the texts that we've been doing to get this to work out, to get Alex on here because this is a prominent one. So it was a lot of build up there too. And then once again, a lot of build up with no payoff. Yeah, a lot of build-up and no payoff. <laughs> that was a total letdown. They're like, wow, the guy who created the show is coming back. This is going to be great. And all of a sudden, I'm on here. They're like, oh, that sucked. <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know... Don't think that, Alex. <laughs> no. Because it's, it's allowed me and Steven to show how far we've become as amateur reviewers of this show. And a lot of stuff where we're really, really critiquing the show with a lens that I don't think anyone ever expected the show to be viewed with. Mm. And it, the fact that it even holds water at the end of one of these reviews shows it's, you know, it's it's well-crafted. Right. Well, yeah. I, I You know, we took a close look at it's 150-some-odd episodes or whatever, and uh, I felt the show held up pretty well under scrutiny because everyone knows, any listener of the Skeleton Crew, I, I destroyed a lot of movies. and uh, Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, <do>. so... <laughs> So to uh, to the show's credit, yeah, no, this this definitely holds up under um, scrutiny, which is weird. It's, it makes you wonder why there have never been another Married with Children podcast, but you could type in like any other show, um, and there's definitely like a podcast about it. So it's great to be the one and only. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. You've but. said some stuff about Jason that <laughs> I've got word I've got words about for for you, Alex, at some point. <laughs> but you know what? That's why we're doing this, and. Uh, I just wanted to say, since we've got we got the creator of the podcast on here, I want to just give a big thank you from all of the new crew. Thank you again, Alex, for the opportunity for us to do this. We're happy to have you back on, and we want as many times as you would love to come back. Any episodes you want to come back on, you're more than welcome to, and I'm sure the viewers would want to hear you too. Thanks, man. Yeah, you guys, uh, from what I heard, doing a great job. I sampled everybody's stuff. 
And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to. I, I didn't want to like listen to. This is gonna sound so weird. We're like 23 episodes into this in the time people are hearing it, but um, I didn't uh, hear everything yet. But I did that on purpose because I want to actually take the journey with everybody else and go week to week. You know, I sampled and that was about it. And then that I want to just take it in like a regular listener and because I never had that experience. I was always the one uh, creating it all. So. It's it's cool to just kick back and relax like everybody else and just chill and enjoy it. Maybe, you know, watch the episode the night before, then look forward to this podcast coming out, and that's it. So that's uh, that's my goal for the end of uh, 2020, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we'll uh, be bringing that and into 2021 because that's when we'll be kicking into Season 9. Because uh, I think with this one, this, Stephen, I think, we're recording the last of season eight right now. Yeah, I think this will be released yeah, in twenty one, probably. I'm sure. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Easily, probably. Easily. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, at least it. into January. <laughs> at least that gives you gives us time to edit it. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, this at my clock now of one hour and fifty four minutes. <laughs> yeah, I just think I used to edit these shows every single week of my life, and then you wonder why when I finally got that free time, I was like, "No, nah, I'm good with this ending." <laughs> I was, yeah. I was like, you know what? I think I did enough. I just, if you guys want to go ahead, you go ahead. After 158 of these, yeah, I'm kind of tired. How you did yeah. not go insane? Is, I do not know. It's beyond me. <laughs> but it's in good hands. I'm happy about all this. All well, right. Glad to hear that. Well, yep. to close out the legend of Ironhead Haynes, uh, thank you very much, legendary podcaster Al himself. <laughs> Yeah, okay. You're funny, man. Uh, Okay, so thank you very much, Alex, for joining us on this show today. Steven, what do we have coming up next week in the uh, sequential order of these episodes? Uh, Well, I didn't bother to look ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But it'd be uh, season... Every time, I think. I always think you have the episodes up. He's like, Oh, man, I could take a look here. Hang on, me close this and uh season would be uh, I want to leave the next thing. one the next one is assault and batteries but i don't know who's going to be commenting on that what team's going to be doing that one yeah that's the hard thing with you guys yeah that's yeah. the thing about that's why I don't bother looking ahead right oh, yeah. we thinking. just i just finished mm-hmm. editing um uh, episode four like completely and i heard our outro and i mm-hmm. i stupidly said whisk you instead of wish you but I'm leaving it in there as a joke. Um, but like we're like, it's gonna be uh, Annabelle and Matt, our Australian crew. <laughs> and now we don't remember who's gonna do what because we stopped like keeping track of the schedule. Yeah. Well, you know, you can still tell people yeah. what show will be reviewed next week. You don't, exactly. you don't have to necessarily. Yeah. Say who's gonna I just do don't it. know the team. Yeah. yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> But it's going to be uh, but, uh, yeah, Season uh, 8, Episode 24, Assault and Batteries. Uh, so until that time, all of you out in listening world, stay legendary like Ironhead Haynes himself. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>